Well, it brings me great joy to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. So if you'll go ahead and find your place there, I'm really, really grateful to be worshiping with you tonight. To those who are online, going to be worshiping on our, uh, with our worship guide tonight. And those of you who are physically present here, it's just a joy to be here. If you're physically here tonight, you know this is what it looks like to worship in the middle of a pandemic. Or as Pastor Paul said earlier, maybe a crime scene. It's hard to tell sometimes. I thought that was awesome. That was a great line. It was really good to uh, be here together. I, I don't really remember who asked me this week, but um, they said, what's it going to be like preaching four times? You know, Saturday night, two in the morning, and then tomorrow night. And I, thought, I had to think about it for a minute. I thought, man, I would rather, rather preach 10 times with God's people in the room than in front of a camera in a room all by myself. So it's a joy, again, to be here together. It's a joy to worship uh, with those online as well. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, really excited to dive into this book. I, I'm grateful for the way as we've walked through Bible 2020 and we've continued that, even though it's been during pandemic and quarantine and all that, how God's word has met us exactly where we were. So thankful as we've walked through First and Second Samuel and the life of the kings, and we've walked through Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, and now we come to a, a period in the life of the people of God, the nation of Israel, called the period of exile. Now, I want to set up a little bit of what we're going to be looking at tonight this way. I think every person in this room who calls yourself a Jesus follower would say this, we long because of God's transforming grace, because of his transformation in our lives. I know for me, I long to be able to say that God is using me to accomplish his purposes. Amen. I mean, we want to be able to say that, that I, I'm being used by God to accomplish his purposes. Even during this COVID-19, I've had so many conversations with so many people who say, man, I just want to be used to continue to advance the gospel and be used to serve people and make him known, even though it's going to look different. I, I think there's something inside of every follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God, that we want to be used to accomplish the purposes of God. Now, what does that look like? When we come to this character, Nehemiah, in your Old Testament, Nehemiah is a Jew He's living in exile far from home in the land of Persia. And it's there that God is going to use him to mightily accomplish his purposes. Now, I, I want to do something. I, I want to kind of start uh, near the end of the story, if you will, and let you know what Nehemiah accomplishes or one of the things he accomplishes and then back up and walk through how he gets there. So you don't have to turn there in your Bibles. Just stay in chapter 1. But in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. What did God use Nehemiah to do? One of the things God used Nehemiah to do. It says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So God's going to use Nehemiah to build the wall around Jerusalem. Now, we hear a lot about building a wall in our nation, but it's a different kind of wall, I promise. That's my only political joke about the wall tonight. That's it. 
God's going to use Nehemiah to build the wall around Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah chapter 6, again, I'm just going to read this to you. Verse 15 and 16 says this. So the wall was finished on the, 20, the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the book of Nehemiah is about, it's about a lot of things, but one of the things is about Nehemiah being used by God to accomplish something significant. Now, here's our big truth that we're going to chase tonight. We're going to press this out. I'm going to give you some big ideas that flow out of that. But here's your big idea tonight. God accomplishes his purposes. I stress his purposes. Sometimes we get those confused sometimes with our own purposes. But God accomplishes his purposes through his redeemed people. Aren't you glad? Now, Nehemiah is one of those people that God uses mightily. We've been reading, again, through the Old Testament and seeing how God has used so many people in different ways to carry out his ultimate purposes. Now, let me set the, let me set the history a little bit again for you of what we're reading in Nehemiah so it'll make sense of all this. Nehemiah, again, is living in a time of exile. He is following a period of time in the reign of King Solomon. Remember, we read about King David. We read about King Saul who preceded David, then David, then King Solomon. And at the end of the reign of King Solomon, there was a, a civil war, if you will, in the nation of Israel. Remember that? So there were the northern tribes or the northern states, if you will, and they became the northern nation of Israel. That nation was wiped out by the powers of Assyria. The, the dynasty of Assyria came in and wiped out Israel in 722. The southern kingdom was known as Judah, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. In 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and wiped out Judah, Jerusalem, the capital. They destroyed the temple and carried many of the Jews off into exile into what was then Babylon. Now, as you've been reading through that, I've been reading through Bible 2020, that was a tragic turning point in the nation of Israel. Their nation ceased to exist as they knew it. Many of their people were carried off into exile. And there's some books of your Bible that are particularly written for us to understand. Here's how God carries out and continues his purposes even when his people are living in a foreign land. Do you hear that? That's us. That's you. That's me. We live in a foreign land. This is not our home. We're longing for our home. There are books in your Old Testament. Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra that are about God carrying out his purposes through his people even when they're in exile in a foreign land. Nehemiah is one of those books. Now, over time, the people of Israel who were the, the, the Jews that were there in Babylon, Babylon is taken over by the next great world power, which is the power of Persia. Persia comes in, they wipe out Babylon, and then you have this Persian king, Cyrus, who directly the way God had intended it to happen, orders that Jerusalem be rebuilt, the temple be rebuilt, and the wall be, be rebuilt around Jerusalem. 
Prior to Nehemiah, there's a man named Zerubbabel and there's a man named Ezra that takes several different uh, excursions, if you will, back to Jerusalem. Now we come to Nehemiah and he's in exile. Generations have passed and here he is in the middle of a foreign land and he's going to be used to carry out God's purposes. Now that's a lot of history. So for us, here's a question to ask as we wrestle with Nehemiah tonight. What does it look like to live for God's purposes even as an exile in a foreign land? That's you and me. That's Nehemiah. So let's begin Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. All that was a little bit of history for you. We're just going to try to cover chapter 1, a little bit of chapter 2, and then I'm going to give you some practical application that comes out of this. All right? Everybody with me? All right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Now, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel. Now, that's a lot of history. He's writing from the capital of the, the empire of Persia. It's the 20th year of King Ahasuerus at this time. And he's there in the kingdom of Persia. That Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. Now stop right there. Nehemiah was born in exile. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He's never been to Judah. One of these earlier groups that left Persia to go and help construct the temple and construct the, uh, the city there of Jerusalem, a group of them is returning back and Nehemiah asked for a report how are things going in the land? How are things going in the land where God has set his name to be, may his name to be glorified in the city of Jerusalem? What are things like there? And he gets a report, verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile, and watch this, he said, they're in great trouble and great shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. I don't know if you've ever been out of town or you've ever been on a vacation and you get some really, really bad news about things back at home. Nehemiah asked for a report of how things are going back in Jerusalem and the report couldn't be worse. He, he gets a report, he says, the people... The people of God that traveled back there, the, the remnant that's left there in Jerusalem, and they're characterized by trouble and shame. They are oppressed. They are distressed. Things are not going well for the people of God in Jerusalem. And then he says, beyond that, the walls of the, the city, they're torn down. They've been burned with fire. Now, what's the big deal about a wall here? Well, if you know history at all in that day, a city's prosperity, a city's protection, a city's glory was often represented by its wall. So Nehemiah gets this picture of God's people there in Jerusalem and they're in derision and they're in shame. And the city itself, the wall is torn down. It's burned with fire. In other words, there's this picture of this place that God's glory is to be on display that's a shameful place. I mean, it just breaks Nehemiah's heart. Keep reading. Verse 5. Or verse 4, he says, 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. There's some verses I come to in the Bible and you just gotta stop for a minute and you go, wait a minute, here's a man of God that's, that's deeply grieved about something. When I read a verse like this, I kind of get on the other side of it and I have to ask myself, and maybe you can ask yourself here tonight, what causes you to grieve? I mean, whatever this is that's affecting Nehemiah's perspective, it is causing him to, de to deeply grieve. What causes us to grieve deeply reveals the condition of our heart and the priorities of our lives. You know that? Whatever it is in your life that causes you to, to, to grieve deeply reveals something about your priorities. I mean, Nehemiah is just grieving. He says, verse 5, and I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah continues on and he fasts and he prays and he cries out to the Lord his God. You come to verse 5 and he's crying out to the great and awesome God. He begins calling out on the character of God. Keeps going. Verse 6. This is one of the most challenging prayers in all of the Bible of how God's people respond in a time of crisis. This is a crisis going on for the people of Israel. And the way you see Nehemiah respond tells something about a heart that's in tune with the heart of God in a time of crisis. He says, verse 6, let your ear, O Lord, be attentive and let your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house, we have sinned. And now he enters into this time of confession and he realizes that much of what is happening with the people of Israel are because of their own sin. And he knows the story of the word of God and why the exile happened and why they were thrust out of the land. And he doesn't just talk about them, he talks about himself as one of God's people. And he has a time of confession and open repentance before the Lord. So challenging. Man, just, I read this prayer of Nehemiah and I got to ask myself before the Lord, when is the last time I grieved about something this deep? And when is the last time I was moved to this point of confession and repentance before the Lord like Nehemiah? Keep going, verse 7. He says, we've acted very corruptly. We've not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules of your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Now he's reciting the word of God in his mind. And he understands they have been scattered because of their unfaithfulness. But there's hope. He continues in his prayer in hope. And he gets to verse 9 and he says, but... He says, I know what you promised, God. You promised that if we return and keep the commandments and do them, though our outcasts, they're in the uttermost parts of heaven, here in Persia, for example. From there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. Now, what's this? To make my name dwell there. Now, I want you to get with me for a second here and understand what is it in chapter 1, that has caused Nehemiah to respond the way he responds. 
Listen, for years I read Nehemiah 1, and I'll be honest, I read it, and I thought his response was like this because a wall was torn down. That's significant. I thought Nehemiah responded in this depth of grieving because of the needs of God's people in that moment, and that's part of it. But the reason Nehemiah is responding, the way he responds here with this depth of grieving and this heartfelt prayer is this. We find it at the end of verse 9. He says this. He understands that God has declared that he would bring his people back there to Jerusalem, the place he has chosen, and there he would make his name to dwell. Here's the point. And if you don't get this, you don't really understand the book of Nehemiah. It's not about a wall. It's not even about the immediate distress of God's people. Nehemiah, as a man of God, his heart is gripped by the glory of God being on display and the purposes of God being carried out. When Nehemiah gets this report from Israel in Jerusalem, his heart breaks, yes, because the people are threatened. His heart breaks because of that. His heart breaks, yes, because the wall has not been built. Yes, that's important. But ultimately, he understands because he understands God's purposes from Scripture that God's glory is not on display as God has intended. And man, his purposes for Jerusalem are just not being carried out. It's not the way it ought to be. And his heart grieves. Can we just be honest? Does, does that cause your heart to grieve? Again, I was so challenged by this. When I, when I have the privilege of working with couples whose maybe their marriage is struggling, man, my heart grieves over a struggling marriage. But you know ultimately why our heart as Christians ought to grieve over struggling marriages that are about to split? Because it's a glory issue. Because God has intended through a marriage to put himself on display of Christ as the head of the family and the, the husband and the wife being the bride. And it's to be a picture of the gospel and a picture of Jesus. And when marriages are shattered, it's to grieve us. Yes, for that couple. Yes, for those children. But ultimately, it's a glory issue. When we hear these families and their children are wayward or or we look at our own life, and I look at my own life, and it's such a mess in so many areas. Am I grieved just because I'm not fulfilling? Or am I grieved because ultimately... God's purpose is not fully being accomplished in my own life. It's a glory issue. Nehemiah's heart, and watch this, brothers and sisters. Nehemiah's heart is gripped because he yearns for God's purposes to be accomplished as God has intended and God's glory to be fully on display. He, he grieves over that. Now, the question is, okay, so if that's true of Nehemiah, how is Nehemiah's heart so gripped with the glorious purpose of God for Jerusalem? Why is his heart so much that he wants God's glory in Jerusalem? Why is his heart so much that he wants God's purposes carried out there? Is it that he grew up in Jerusalem and he just loves the city? No, never been to Jerusalem. Is it some experience he had that's just captured his heart about God's glory and he just can't? Nope, none of that. You know what it is? Here's your answer. His mind is saturated with the word of God. So how do you know that, Pastor Mike? 
You do a little study in Nehemiah chapter 1, especially verses 5 through verse 9, you will find out that Nehemiah here directly quotes or makes reference in four short verses to Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 30, Leviticus chapter 26, and Daniel chapter 9. So here's a man in exile. This is the picture I want you to see. Here's a man who's living in a foreign land. His heart is for God's purposes to be carried out and for a city he's never seen with his own eye. He is longing for God's purposes to be fulfilled, not just in his own life, but God's eternal purposes as revealed in the word of God. How did all that happen? Because Nehemiah was a man of the word of God. And his mind and his desires and his affections were so captured by God's word. Listen, you see that here. I want you to see this. He grieves according to the word of God. What makes him grieve? Yes, the immediate need of the people. Yes, the fact that the wall wasn't built. But ultimately, the purposes and the glory of God is not as God intended it as he reveals in his word. And when we grieve, is it because things are not the way God has intended them to be? And we want God's purposes carried out. So he grieves according to God's word. He responds according to God's word. Listen, when Nehemiah gets this report from Jerusalem of how bad things are, he gets this distressing report about things just being awful. How does he respond? Does he unravel? Oh, woe is me. Oh, there's no hope. Oh, the end of the world is coming. No, Nehemiah says, you, oh, great and awesome God. Because Nehemiah knows his God. And Nehemiah walks with his God. And Nehemiah's heart and his mind is captured by the character of God. There is a distinct difference between the people of God who are immersed in the word of God and those who are not and those who don't, especially in a time of crisis. And it shows up. Nehemiah says, oh, great and awesome God. He prays this way. And he immediately, he turns this back into a season of prayer and fasting. There, there was something in his life. And listen, you have these things in your life. If you know the word of God, there are things in your life. There are things in your family. There are things in your church. There are things in your community that are simply not the way God intended them to be. And Nehemiah, as a man of God, turns those into a prayer and a fasting, crying out for God to carry out his promises. He's a man of the word. I don't know, I'd ever read Nehemiah like that. I don't know that it ever caught my attention that all that Nehemiah does in accomplishing the purposes of God, it's a whole lot more than just a wall. The wall is the particular example of Nehemiah obeying, but Nehemiah is who he is and does what he does because his heart is captivated by the character and the person and the, the purposes of God. Man, is that true of you? Is that true of me? He grieves according to God's word. He, he responds according to God's word. He prays according to God's word. So here's, here's, here's your big idea. I'm only going to have two or three tonight quickly. Here's big idea number one. We know God's purposes by meditating on God's word. See, the decision for Nehemiah to 
specifically leave Persia and go and build the wall that you're going to see in a minute made perfect sense, not because God came to him in a vision and said, go build a wall, or not because he had the, you know, the, the, the feeling that he should go build a wall. It's because God's purposes were for his glory in Jerusalem and the, the building up of his people and Israel to be a light to a nation. And it made perfect sense for Nehemiah to do that, to carry out the purposes of God in his life. His heart was captured by God's purposes, not his own. We know God's purposes by meditating. And I hope you've had some time during this pandemic to meditate and feast and chew on God's word. And like Paul said earlier, hopefully it's one of those patterns and rhythms in our lives. It's not going to change. And we're not just skimming over the surface. We chew on God's word. It's like that illustration from a few weeks ago. It's like that tea bag that we take and we dip it down into the water of our mind and our heart. And the more we plunge that tea bag, the more permeated our minds and our heart is with truth and the word of God. That's Nehemiah. He acts according to God's word. Look at verse 11. Keep reading. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And, and then you can see, after a few weeks here, it's going to be several months, actually. He's, he's ready to action, and he begins to change his prayer for, for his moment of response. He's going to obey now. He says, grant, grant your servant, grant him mercy in the sight of this man, referring to the king. And then Nehemiah tells you something about himself at the end of verse 11. He says, now, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, this is hugely important. Nehemiah, like Daniel and like Joseph and like others that preceded him, is another example of God's people, even in a foreign land, rising to positions of significant influence and responsibility. Faithful presence. God places him there right next to the king of Persia. You say, cupbearer, that sounds kind of a lowly job for the guy at the end of the line. You know, who wants to be cupbearer? Not me, man. Not so. The role of cupbearer in this day was a role of great authority and great influence. The cupbearer was not just the guy at the end of the line that couldn't get to do anything else. He's not just the dregs of society. He's a man of great influence. He's a man of great wisdom because this cupbearer had authority. The cupbearer wasn't just the guy that carried the cup to the king. He was the guy also that was in, responsible for all the supply lines and all the crops to be grown and everything that gets the food to the king and that whole system so that what came to the king, he could be sure. He wasn't gambling that this was good or bad. He knew all the way back to where these grapes were grown that what he's about to give the king is pure. What that says is he was a man of great influence and great stature. Not just anybody gets to be the cupbearer of the king. Also, the cupbearer of the king had access, continual access to the ear of the king himself. Now, I want you to see something that shifts maybe in the mind of Nehemiah a little bit here, and I hope shifts for all of us at some point. Here's Nehemiah who had been given a place of great prominence right next to the king of Persia. And at least in this moment, and maybe you already saw it like this, Nehemiah, <clears throat> out of this time of worship, out of this time of fasting and meditation on God's word, acknowledges his occupation, cupbearer, as actually a kingdom assignment from the Lord. 
You see your occupation that way? He said, I was cupbearer to the king. I see now in line with God's purposes, I'm not just carrying out a duty. I'm placed there by the king of kings for such a time as this to carry out the purposes of God. Man, that changes everything for Nehemiah. Now keep going. Let's see how this plays out. Now let's fast forward four months. Nehemiah's been praying. Nehemiah's been fasting. Nehemiah's been meditating on God's word. Nehemiah's been planning. Nehemiah's been waiting. So, so he longs for what's happening in Jerusalem. And the Bible continues on in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, we're, we're four months beyond where we just started. When wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. <laughs> in those days, if you're the cupbearer and you walk into the throne room of the king and you look kind of sad and you got, you know, uh, like, like something's upset in your heart or maybe there's a, a sweat bead coming down the side of your head, there's an assumption that old boy is up to something. You don't go in the king's presence sad or upset or disgruntled. Nehemiah could not hide how disgruntled and heartbroken he was. The king picks up on it. He says, verse 2, the king says to me, what's wrong with you? Why are you so, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? He says, your face is sad. You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. So at this moment, the king could have said, not going to risk it. Something's wrong with this guy. He might be up to something. He might be leading a rebellion. That's not what happens. Verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. It's a good thing to say. I'm in your court, king. Long live the king. Why should my face not be sad? And he's honest with this king. And he says, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. He just tells him what's going on in Jerusalem. And he tells him the purposes of God that are not to be carried out. Verse 4, the king said to me, what are you requesting? <laughs> Can you imagine this? Nehemiah doesn't know if he's going to say off with your head or he's going to say, forget this, Nehemiah. You, you need to straighten up. But he says to Nehemiah, what do you need? The Bible says, Nehemiah says, I, I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> we call that a flare prayer. <laughs> Not really. What Nehemiah does here is the overflow of four months of prayer and fasting and meditating on God's word. And now the opportunity from the king opens up to Nehemiah and he says, hey, what do you need? What do you want? If you're going to go do this, you're going to go carry this out. What do you need? Verse 5, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servants and found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Can you send me to Judah? The king said to me, the queen sitting next to him, how long are you going to go? Or how, how long will you be gone and when, you, when, you, when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. The king says, all right, Nehemiah, you have earned such respect. You have earned such honor. From my perspective, I'm going to grant your request. I'm going to send you to Jerusalem. Verse 7, the king said to me, if it please the king, let, 
or he said to the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river. Verse 8, give me a letter to Asaph, the keepers of the king's forest, that I may give timber and make beams for the gates and the fortresses of the temple. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was on me. Now this is incredible. So God uses, God accomplishes his purposes through his redeemed people. We know what God's purposes are by meditating on his word. Here's your big idea number two, straight from these verses. We accomplish God's purposes through sacrificial obedience. His heart is so wrapped up with the purposes of God, and he is so desiring the glory of his God, he's going to make some sacrificial decisions here that we see in this verse. Number one, he gave time. Nehemiah is a busy man. Nehemiah has a full schedule. But you see Nehemiah building rhythms into his life of God's purposes, around God's word, around prayer, around fasting. The challenge for you and I in that, even coming out of this season of COVID-19, is here's the question. Are we so desiring God's purposes in our life, we are building things in our lives to carry out those purposes? If we know one of God's purposes is that I am made like Jesus... And I'm being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Am I building time in my life around God's word? Man, our, our, if we know that one of God's purposes is that we are with God's people and we edify one another. And man, we're here tonight. And through this, I'll be honest, through this corona thing, our life group attendance on Zoom, and I know we're about tired of Zoom, I get it, but it's a great tool, has been record attendance. Lord, don't let that change that we build our life around the purposes of God. We build our life around making Jesus known and advancing the gospel and our growth in Christ's likeness and the edification of God's people. Nehemiah gave time. Nehemiah gave effort. Listen, can I just be honest with you? This old boy worked hard for four months. And when the king said, Nehemiah, what do you need? Nehemiah had a plan. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't go, well, you know, king, I, just whatever you want to give me. I don't really care, whatever. No, he had a plan. He had a strategy. He had worked hard. He gives great effort. The Bible knows nothing of following Jesus without grace-inspired, motivated effort. And he worked hard. Worked hard for the purposes of God to be carried out in his life. Then thirdly, I want you to see this. Not only did he give time, not only did he give effort, he gave himself. Now watch this. I've probably read Nehemiah chapter 2. I can't remember countless times, and this verse has never stood out to me like this. Nehemiah, because his heart is so wrapped up in the purposes of God. Look back at verse 5. He says this. And I said to the king... If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, you send me to Judah. Mark that in your Bible. He says, if, if I found favor in your sight, and if it pleases you, king, here's ultimately what I want. Send me to Judah. 
He says, I'm willing to lay down the comforts and the comfy, cushy life I've got as this rich executive who serves beside the king. I'm willing to leave Persia and all that I've known to, to lay down my life for the purposes of God to a city I've never even seen, I've never even been to. Send me to Judah. And my prayer, man, when I read that, it just gripped my heart that God would give us as a church men like Nehemiah who would say, the, the particular, whatever the particulars are, I'm so, I'm so riveted and captured by the purposes of God. Send me to that family in that broken marriage to enter that mess and help. Send me to that student ministry to pour my life out for students. Send me to consider foster care or adoption to make a difference. Send me to cross a culture to plant my life in a place where the people have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you send me to Judah? Would, would, would we be so captured, man? By the purposes of God, the particulars are easy and make sense because the purposes of God have captured our heart. That's the story of Nehemiah. The story continues. He travels to Jerusalem. He finishes the wall. or He travels there. He evaluates the situation. He faces strong opposition. He's constrained by the purposes of God. And then back to where we started. And we'll close with this. So the wall was finished. This is Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and greatly uh, fell of their own esteem. They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Here's your final big truth, and we're done. In fact, the team can come on up and begin to play. It's this. We accomplish God's purpose dependent upon the grace of God while trusting in the finished work of Christ. Bible says Nehemiah accomplished this particular task that he had been given because he was so encapsulated by the purposes of God, but he did it by the grace of God. And he did it working from the finished work. For us as disciples of the Lord Jesus on this side of the cross, everything we attempt, everything we accomplish is not to earn anything. It is all from the place where Jesus Christ on the cross declared, it is finished. Everything necessary for the redemption of God's people, everything necessary for God's plan of redemption has been fully accomplished. We work from that, not to earn that. And by God's grace, I pray that our hearts are captured by God's word our lives are built around his purposes. So just as we enter into a time of response, I just want to ask you to bow your head there for a moment and we're going to sing a response song. just want you to wrestle with a few of these questions and we're finished. Number one, is my life built around God's purposes or my own purposes? Secondly, am I giving place to the reading and the studying and the meditating of God's word? Is it his eternal purposes revealed in his word that I'm building my life around? 
Am I willingly and joyfully giving time and effort and sacrificial obedience to carrying out his purposes? And am I serving in a place to earn favor? Or man, am I going after the purposes of God because I have been fully accepted in the finished work of Christ? It is finished. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. And I pray even tonight, Lord, you would stir our hearts. That God, we would be about the eternal purposes as revealed in your word. God, Christ-likeness in our lives. Lord, holiness in a pursuit of it. Lord, the edification of one another and the advancing of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to build our lives around your eternal unchanging purposes as revealed in your word. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.